Welcome to Retaining the Passion, Journeys Through Nursing. This is a non-affiliated podcast. Any views expressed by the hosts or guests do not necessarily represent those of the organizations they work for or are studying at, or any trade unions or professional bodies they are members of. Thanks for listening. Welcome everybody. This episode is quite an interesting one for us. We're really excited to learn all about GP nursing. Yep. So not something that either of us have got a huge amount of knowledge. So we've got two fantastic guests lined up to tell us all about it and then a little bit more chatter from us. Yep. But before that, we'll do our feature, which is what is your first time? So what was your first time, Claire? Well, I'm going to be really cheeky and do a you and have two because that's a a special (laughs) Craig thing. And they're both really quite nice things. So I have been awarded the Student Nursing Times Mental Health Nurse of the Year at an online ceremony. And I'm hugely, hugely proud and so well deserved. Yeah, it was really lovely. Two of my lecturers, so big shout out to Jim and John, nominated me and they wrote really lovely things about me. And so it was a real honour because I really respect the two of them. So even just to be nominated by them. And then I went down and did the interview in London and I cried. And it was really unlike you. (laughs) So unlike me. It was just at the beginning of lockdown, kind of just before it happened. So London was really strange. and And it was just before I started my job. It was my last official day of being a student I was interviewed so it had a quite a lot of meaning before I even won it so to win it in a field of really goodness it was amazing and then my sneaky little second one is that I have been offered and accepted a band six role in my current team which is just so exciting check so, you band um, five to band six in how many months seven so I think it's not about getting the banding we've talked about that on episodes you know we shouldn't but we talk about nursing a lot as campaigning in terms of money and it's tough being in the community as a band five with no enhancements it's really hard so financially it's going to make a huge difference to my family but I think also I've worked really hard to get to this point for 25 years really and so I feel like just being able to say I can do my job well within the same team is just Uh, And I think it's also about recognition of what you were doing in your role as a band five, like essentially speaking to you as a friend when we talk, it might surprise Mm. people who don't listen to the podcast, but you and I speak Um, when I've spoken to you about what your jobs entailed, you have been working above what I would assume to be band five role. Yeah, I think my caseload is quite varied and I have a huge, really interesting people that I meet with lots of different needs and I love working with them all individually you know there's days that it's really tough but yeah I'm just really pleased and I think it's made me feel really settled like even yesterday talking to my patients I just knew that I'm not going anywhere for a while and that's quite a stabilizing feeling to know because you build up quite an intense relationship, I suppose, with some of your patients. I said it on that HE England video. It's a privilege to walk alongside somebody's recovery and mental yeah. health. And so you get to know them really kind of in depth and their families and their carers. 
And I think I am ambitious, you know, and I've admitted to being ambitious on this podcast, but not in a kind of go out and trample over everybody way. But also but ambition is not a dirty word. It's not. And I think I thought it was for a long time, but actually I've got this role now. I'm quite settled. I know I'm going to be here. And that feels like I can be more secure in those relationships with patients and, and move them on when it's right for them to kind of walk alone. So yeah, it's just been a bit of a whirlwind of a few weeks and it's just been great. So I've so massive congratulations. Rambled on I'm about a my hugely two. proud friend. <laughs> so what's your first time? So anyone that knows me, obviously, and I've ranted on about it enough on this podcast, I'm very much driven by social justice, by equality, diversity and inclusion. People know that I work in infectious diseases, so dealing with bloodborne viruses. I also am doing a master in public health. So I had written out the service management of Glasgow's homeless and asylum team and asked if I could come and shadow their services in my week's annual leave this week. I was going to say, in your annual leave. Yeah, I know. To be fair, I'm not working next week until the end of next week. I'm night shift next Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I do have some time off. So yes, I did do it on my annual leave, but it's because it's something that I'm so passionate about. And I had the most fabulous time and I'm so grateful to every single, a big shout out to Lisa Ross, the service manager, but a big thank you to everyone who I went out with. I got to go out and experience the women's clinic, the HIV tracing clinic. They do an enhanced drug treatment service and just everything that I got to experience reminded me of why I wanted to get into nursing. That's not to say that I don't love my current role. I absolutely love the team I work alongside, but I loved working with this team and just seeing the real difference and impact that they could make on some of the most at-risk, chaotic and disadvantaged members of our society. It totally reminded me of why I wanted to get into nursing and it will also be really advantageous for my role that I do as my staff nurse at yeah. the and also for my for my master's study so I'm hugely grateful to the team that let me come and shadow and it was just such a great week. Fab I know you've had a great week you've been really positive when I've spoken to you this week so that's our rambling at the beginning we will speak to you again at the end but here are our two interviews. So we are delighted for this episode to introduce to you a fellow Claire and Craig and I are very excited because we've both worked with Claire in various roles but mainly on the student nurse project which if you don't follow it on Twitter you should whether you're a student or not. So Claire Carmichael is a registered adult nurse and she works as a GP practice nurse. So welcome Claire. Welcome. Hi thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Just dedicated. (laughs) So we start every episode and I guess Craig and I know a little bit about this, but I know you've got a really interesting story and a really interesting journey. So we start every interview with every person to say, you know, kind of what is your story? How did you get to where you're up to? We'd love this to be as personal as you feel comfortable sharing. You can start as far back as you want to, but how did you get to where you are today okay it's a long story <laughs> <laughs> it's fine um, thank you for brief 
So I very first sort of fell in love with nursing officially, really, when I started working in the care homes with the elderly. I seen district nurses when I was about seven, and I lived with my nan and granddad at the time, and my granddad died at home, unfortunately, but he was very stubborn and he refused to go to hospital, so he had the district nurses in. Uh, That's the first time I really sort of seen any form of nurse, really, but I was only seven, so I didn't really understand it at the time as much, but I just remember thinking, these people are amazing, I don't know what they're doing, but I really respected them in a way, Yeah. but even though that happened, I still didn't think of myself as a nurse, never really thought that that was my sort of career until I started working at the nursing home as a care assistant and I just fell in love with it and again we didn't have nurses at the care home so it was always the district nurses so it's always that community sort of nurse that I was always yeah. in contact with and then after leaving school well that was one of my first jobs after leaving school but I didn't get the GCSEs really to do anything at college or anything like that so I had to retake all of my GCSEs And then I went on to do the access to HE diploma to get me into uni to do my nursing. And then I finally, (laughs) after (laughs) about 12 years of trying and yeah, had a lot of knockbacks and things happen along the way. But just to cut it a bit shorter, I finally got into nursing, but I wasn't too sure where I was going to end up until my second year of nursing. And Uh then... I felt that's where I found my general practice placement and I fell in love with general practice nurses and I said yep this is it this is I'm at home I was never a ward nurse as soon as I stepped on to a ward I said no this isn't for me but I'm going to keep going because I want to get to the end of my degree and luckily I had that general practice placement and I just completely fell in love with general practice and then I qualified applied for a role in general practice and was lucky enough to get it so yeah. (laughs) And you worked didn't you you worked throughout your degree? Yeah so I was a healthcare assistant in sexual health for Mm. years and I did that alongside my degree to keep yeah. me going because I had bills to pay, rent to pay, because I'm a mature student. <laughs> Join the club. Yeah, <laughs> we all are here. Right? So, and I think the other thing that we see a lot of stuff, I suppose, more on RCNNQN than on Retaining the Passion, but the same kind of thing is you moved, didn't you? So people can identify where you're from, from your accent, probably <laughs> there, or which region you're from. But that's not where you are now. And I think that's something that a lot of people are very scared of is moving from the trust that they've trained in and you know that comfort zone so you not only went into GP nursing but you moved across the country I did yes Uh, I don't know why I did it this (laughs) I must have been mental Um, but yeah so as soon as I qualified I moved down I, I did my training in Birmingham at Birmingham City that's where I was sort of living for about 10 years and then I moved down south to Portsmouth straight after uni and that's where I've got my job so it was all happening I moved house I moved location moved trusts and areas so it was all a bit much, I, think. I should have yeah. maybe just um <laughs> load myself into that one looking back <laughs> oh no rip the plaster off and get it all done as a one yeah just do it. so yeah. with general practice nursing Claire so for people that are listening so GP nursing it's one of those areas that people might feel like they know a lot about because everyone in their auntie's been for a GP appointment <laughs> and will have seen a GP nurse at some point in their life whether that's for bloods 
or for various other reasons. But can you tell us more about what the role actually entails? Because it covers such a wide and broad spectrum. So I suppose, what does a typical day, week look like for you? And why is it such a unique role, general practice nursing? Yeah, that's a good question. So general practice nurses are, they're so varied because they see literally anything and everything that comes through the door. I don't think people realise just how much general practice nurses do. So they can do anything from bloods, ECGs, wound management, removing stitches and clips after surgery. They do a lot of injections, long-term condition management. So things like asthma, diabetes, COPD, hypertension, smear tests. Sometimes mental health assessments. They're just a small little, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Or baby immunizations as well. So, and they see a whole range of ages and different fields of nursing as well. It's just, it's so varied. And the level of autonomy as well, I think, makes it really stand out from different types of nursing, like the wards where you've got a bigger team and stuff. Yeah. You have to be quite confident, I think, in what you're doing to be a practice nurse in a way because it's you and a patient right you're in a room yeah yeah. and do you feel like your training prepared you for that for such a broad spectrum Mm. obviously you said you had your placement in general practice nursing which you loved but had you not had that do you think that that is something that you would have been prepared for that's a good question I think yes and no I think yes because where I trained at BCU, we did a lot of actually long-term conditions. So I know about diabetes and asthma and hypertension, heart attacks, that sort of thing, because they're the sort of things we did in our case studies. But other things, maybe like wound management, I don't, I didn't see much of that on the wards, only in the surgical wards. But even then, it was just like you put a plaster on it, and that's really it for yeah, <laughs> surgical wards. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And I always thought, oh, I'm really good at wound management. And then I went to GP, and I was like, wow, <laughs> I know nothing about wound. <laughs> so yeah I think we were sort of prepared in a way because of the long-term conditions and the teaching I think and the knowledge is there but then when you're in GP and you see all these different wounds and leg ulcers I didn't get that side of it yeah. I don't mm. yeah and I guess it's so varied like you could have someone coming through the door for the flu vaccine and I guess you do run flu clinics where you have specifically the same people coming in but you know and the next person that's coming in might be for a diabetes check and then somebody because they're struggling with their mental health and actually practice nurses have a big role to play in assessing and supporting people through those and it's how you change isn't it from one to the other and then in COVID you've got less people in the building and you're not in a trust so there's a lot of different things aren't there I think from when we're training we're quite often I suppose given kind of that structure in which we work whether that's in a ward or a trust or a flow and you maybe don't have that as much in a in a GP Mm -hmm. surgery is that fair to say? Yeah, no, that is fair to say. (laughs) And how do you cope with that then? Because you could have somebody through with a learning difficulty and then you could have a mother and child, someone with a mental health need. Do you think you got enough training in different fields of practice? No, you're right, actually, about that, because at uni, we only touch upon certain things. So we had probably a two hour session on mental health. And then we had we had to do learning wow. disabilities as part of it as well, um, because obviously you got the as part of that two hours. No, no, this was oh, a no. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, disabilities now as well. 
and children didn't actually do any real training on child but obviously in the placement documents that well that we had I think it's part of the NMC code as well that you have to see all fields of nursing and reflect on them yeah Yeah. that's it so I was lucky that I had my GP placement and my community placement because I saw those different ages and different fields of nursing from those does manage to get signed off for it but the training wise you don't really get much training on it but I'm just quite fortunate that I've had some healthcare experience. So mm. with people with like dementia or in sexual health, we saw actually a lot of anxiety and depression as well. So them sort of mental health sort of problems that come about. And we also had the young person's clinic as well. So we would see younger people for sexual health. So I had a little bit of experience, but still not enough really. Mm. Um, it must have been I, quite invaluable experience for you to bring to that yeah. role. And I know sexual health <laughs> is something that you're really passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I guess that leads us on to our kind of next question, which is, I mean, I work in the community, Craig works on a ward, but we've all heard those, well, you've just qualified, you should go on a ward, that's what you do, you have to do time served, mm-hmm. it's the way of the world from yeah. certain people. But do you think that people can go straight to be a GP nurse? And I guess you've touched on some of the challenges, but what are the challenges and how could people address these, I guess, so that they're... That's a good question. So it's easy. Yes, absolutely. You can go into GP as a newly qualified nurse. I've done it and so many more people have done it as well. They've gone straight in. But there is still that tough challenge where some GPs are still looking for experienced nurses that we're trying to tackle as part of the GPN SNN ambassadors network. But yeah, some GPs do request that, but always apply anyway. That's what I did. I just applied. It didn't matter if they said experience or not. I just applied, but then I put in my personal statement, all of the experience that I had that could transfer to GP. And luckily I did get a job at the end of it. And as well as that, but if you're new to GP, whether you've been working on a ward for 20 years or you're a new qualified nurse going to GP, you'll still have to do the GP training because it's a specific set of skills. Yeah. Um, So my course at the minute, I'm on the fundamentals of primary care course and that teaches you how to do smear tests and baby immunizations and so is that national I know nothing clearly is that a (laughs) national program is that a yeah it should be yeah okay and at a uni or yeah so that's a course at university and it's like a day or two here and there and then you work alongside it if you're new to GP it's completely funded by the CCGs so and is it open to any field of nursing? So as a mental health nurse or a learning yeah, disability yeah. nurse or a children's nurse, could you apply to GP nursing? Yeah. yeah, I know people that are mental health and child and they've gone into GP. They just have to do the extra training like well, like everybody does for the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I imagine they'd be in a massive asset as well to any surgery because we see so many mm-hmm. health and children. They'd be great. And then I think it might be worthwhile for any of our listeners, particularly if there's any student nurses listening, considering going into general practice nursing. People always talk about the NHS and everything's very NHS centric. And you even need to look to the response to COVID, how everyone just talks about the NHS. Anytime it's pay deals that's mentioned, it's all the NHS. So how do GP practices actually function? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but most of them are owned and managed by GPs who would then hire the practice nurses is that correct yeah that's correct yeah so GPs are funded by the NHS 
but technically they're semi-private because they get their own money to do whatever they want with, basically. So if they want to pay you whatever, they can pay you whatever. They're not really... Because um, you're not on Agenda for Change. No, no. I think some GPs have signed up to Agenda for Change, but a lot of them still aren't, and they can just pay you whatever, and they can give you whatever contracts they think's fit for purpose for a practice nurse. So that can work in your advantage, or it can work against yeah. you. So it's really important, I guess, to consider that. What about pensions? Are you in the NHS pension? Yeah, yeah. Luckily, okay. I've got the NHS pension, yeah, some part of that. But it is something, I guess, to be mindful of if people are looking to go, is, is yeah. to remember that. And yeah. I suppose important in terms at the moment where we're talking about safe staffing and we're talking about funding the NHS to remember for all of us that we're not all agenda for change. We have you guys in GPs, but the private sector is a massive, massive area. That's really important. Yeah, definitely. So I guess as a GP nurse, you meet all kind of people in society. Everybody's like Craig said at the beginning, we all think we know what GP nurses do because we've all been. My husband goes for his asthma check. I go in for, for various different well woman checks. And I know you've been a big advocate of making sure people get their smears and all that public health. So you've got a real cross section around health prevention, haven't you? And then seeing people, probably you see some people at their illest and they're most unwell so you see people where you're trying to prevent health and then you're seeing them like that what do you think the biggest challenge for a GP nurse is oh gosh probably juggling everything I don't know (laughs) I think the biggest challenge is change like getting your patient to change their behavior like if someone's been newly diagnosed with COPD for example and they've been smoking all their life since they were like 10 or something it's really hard to change that behavior and get them to see the positives in changing the behavior for the benefit of especially in that tiny window you get with them yeah it is really difficult to do that and I guess you must have to have quite a good relationship with the doctors in your surgery so it must be really important that you can communicate with them too yeah definitely all the team really get on in general practice land so it's nice because you do work (laughs) even though you're in your own room you do work quite closely together with people and you're constantly like feeding back off each other and constantly going to the doctor because that patient's probably seen the doctor before they've seen you or they're seeing you before they see the doctor so you all know the patients which is quite nice and they tell nurses different things right we know that yeah (laughs) absolutely Yeah, and on social media, you've said yourself recently, you're just moving to a new practice. So what was it like in your first practice? Were you part of quite a large team of practice nurses? And what's it going to be like in your new one? Because quite often GP nurses, they can be the only general practice nurse in, in their surgery. So what's your experience been like? So where I'm working at the minute, that's quite a biggish team, I want to say, because I'm part of two practices. So we've got two sites. Okay. Um, and we have about, I think there's six nurses, two HCs oh, yeah. or healthcare assistants, and then about seven doctors or something, eight mm-hmm. doctors maybe, I think now. Um, and then we have a phlebotomist as well. Yeah. So it's quite a biggish team. And then my new practice, which I'm starting at the end of the month, they seem like a smaller team, but I couldn't tell you the exact numbers. But there's yeah. just one small practice with a few nurses and a few doctors maybe. And when you started as a newly qualified nurse, did you find that there was 
quite good support from the mm -hmm. other general practice nurses coming in as a new registrant and was there that I know you've said there's the extra learning that you do at uni but was there like CPD stuff that you could do because essentially you were running your own clinics pretty early on yeah so when I first started I had two shadow shifts with the nurses and then from the third day I was sort of left on my own devices to sort of get on with it really um, <laughs> and I never had any supervisions or anything like that so it did feel at the time I thought yes this is great I've got my own clinics people must trust me and then as time went on and I wasn't having any supervisions or any appraisals or anyone's come to me to say how are you getting on <laughs> I sort of thought <laughs> oh I don't know if this is safe or not <laughs> so I did send a couple of emails about it and spoke to a few but I'm people. sure with you they are in very safe I was going to say the same yeah. thing no. And do you think GP nursing is somewhere you can make a career? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you can do all sorts of things. So you could do extra training to do the advanced nurse practitioner course. Where you can okay, so you can still do that within GP yeah, nursing. Yeah. And GPs love that, I think, because it sort of takes the pressure off them as well if you can do a bit more. So you're that in-between person between nurse and so what would that allow you the, to do extra, could, I guess? You could then become like nurse prescribers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Okay. So when you're an advanced nurse practitioner, you can do, it's more about diagnosing pretty much like a junior doctor in a way. Mm -hmm. So they can do things like chest examinations, they prescribe, so they can diagnose and treat as well, which is really, really good, really helpful, I think, for any Yeah, I imagine lots of trusts yeah. would be looking to push towards having ANPs within their trust. Yeah. You can also become a nurse partner as well in GP, so you can partner up with the GPs. And okay, I didn't know that. Whatever they do as partners. <laughs> so then you're part of the management structure, yeah? That's it, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's all just such a different land. It's to really different. It's really yeah. different. But I think it's a big, and we've got Ellen Nicholson on later, who is the chair of the General Practice Nursing Forum for mm. the RCN. And there's just always been a bit of a big campaign for the fact that there is inequity in pay terms and conditions for general yeah. practice nurses, particularly stuff around maternity leave and mm -hmm. because they it's don't, the they don't necessarily it, yeah. copy across from what yeah. is within the NHS. So I think it's really important as all nurses that we advocate for our peers in the profession. Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting thing, even if you're not thinking of GP nursing for yourself, actually as nurses as a profession in general always remember that they're there because I found working in the community that GP nurses are a brilliant resource because some of your patients you just know them so well and so sometimes we automatically go to a district nurse I think and it's not a district nurses are amazing and I'm sure we'll talk about district nursing in another episode but it's remembering sometimes that GP nurses are there and they are a person that people see regularly. So for us in mental health, if we've got somebody that's got comorbidities and you mentioned COPD, so that's a great one. They might have COPD and have mental health issues. It's really good to have that conversation with a practice nurse because you pick up on so much that you might be having a conversation about something entirely different. So just remember that your GP nurses are there, I think. Well, it's, it's really also important. the same with, with me. Like I work in 
infectious diseases. So we'll send lots of people out who have cellulitis or infective wounds who are then transferred to their general practice nurse for wound care management. Yeah. So we all tie in together. How just a, a quick just a quick question ad hoc. How have you found COVID nineteen's impacted working as a general practice nurse? It's been strange because at the very start of it and the first lockdown, it went quiet. I mean, we kept our doors open. We were always seeing patients throughout it all. But I think patients weren't coming in for their routine appointments. Like, so the yearly blood tests weren't being done. Blood pressure monitoring wasn't being done. Those little sort of things, smear tests again, they weren't being done. That was all stopped and being pushed back. And we were just seeing sort of urgent cases. But also people were too scared to come in. So there was a lot of cancellations as well. Yeah. So there, was a, there was a time where at the very start where I was seeing like three patients a day. And it was so boring for me. (laughs) I did get a lot of e-learning done. And then after the first wave, and then we started opening back up, and then we were back to normal, like 20-odd, 30 patients a day. And now it's slowing down again, I think. It's still busy, but it's not as busy. I think people don't want to bother you, don't they? And they don't understand what's allowed and what's not allowed and what's a priority. And you get that mix of people saying, oh, well, there's people dying. I don't want to bug you. And it's hard, right? It's really hard. It's really important, particularly when you are helping manage people with long-term conditions that they do continue to see their general practice nurses and their doctors because these Or for those diagnostic assessments. I mean, we know Claire is on it every year about telling all of us women to go and have a smear test. I don't have to have them anymore because I'm of that age, but um, I've had a hysterectomy. Put it out there to the whole world. Um, No, no, it's fine. So the one good thing, we we don't have to go and have that. But actually, you're so passionate about all those kind of preventative things, that early intervention and stuff. And that, I think, is the stuff that people need to keep doing. If you find a lump, if you've checked your testicles and there's a lump there, you've checked your breasts, if you need a smear, you guys are there, right? And they need to keep coming to see you. That's it, yeah. Because there's other diseases and illnesses, not just COVID. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And we always feel a bit mean asking this to our peers. And no, we don't. It's a fantastic nurses. question. But what would your number one piece of advice be for any newly registered nurse? It can be really <laughs> small. It can be big, like existential, or just a really small practical piece of advice. What is it, Claire Carmichael's piece of advice for newly registered <laughs> nurses? It would have to be just take it slow, literally, because no one prepares you for the transition. I'm sure you've you've felt it as well. That transition from student nurse to newly qualified nurse is probably one of the toughest out of the whole of my three years. And I did not expect that. I felt ready. I thought, yes, I'm going to be a newly qualified nurse. This is amazing. And then boom, you are the nurse. And that is it. I still get that when they ring the phone, they're like, Can I speak to the nurse looking after patient? I'm like, uh, looking behind me, and I'm like, Hello, on the phone. Like, it is of such a weird sensation. Yeah, but it can really like knock your confidence as well, especially if patients are asking you questions because you're the nurse now and you should know it all. Yeah. And then you don't know it because, well, you don't. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's random things that you don't know that happened to me at the very very start actually people kept asking me the most bizarre questions and I was just like 
I have no idea. But then I would beat myself up about it because I was like, well, why don't I know this? I should know this. You're like, I'll just have a quick Google. Yeah. Of- <laughs> I literally Googled everything at the start. <laughs> Do not use Google Doctor, people. Don't use Google Doctor. No, 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 no. Don't use Google Doctor. <laughs> Claire, where can people, because you are very prolific on social media you've got your youtube channel you're on twitter and i hear tonight that you're on tiktok so where can people beyond me my 12 year old i'm gonna say to my 12 year old i know a tiktok superstar so where can people find you on social media claire so it's quite easy to be fair twitter instagram and tiktok are all at c underscore carmichael 83 i've kept it simple kept it all the same and then what's your youtube channel Oh, I'm sorry. YouTube is just Claire Carmichael. Yeah. And if you haven't watched Claire's YouTube videos, you are are missing out. You are. You really are. (laughs) And you're also still a curator on Student Nest Project, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just leave. (laughs) (laughs) Don't leave. Never leave. Never leave. I think they can't do it. (laughs) I think they need that GP voice. I think it's great. I think it's great to have that. Just a quick shout out because you did mention them. The General Practice Student and Nurse Network. And, and what all, are they trying to do? We are amazing ambassadors for general practice nursing. We sort of get rid of all the myths that you hear about general practice nurses, that they're lazy, somewhere to retire to, that you can't go in there as a newly qualified nurse. Like we're trying to get rid of all those myths, promote general practice as a first stop career choice as part of the NHS long term plan and just get yeah some conversations going about general practice and how amazing it is and get people and on, yeah. on twitter there at yeah you can find it from your twitter profile and i have to say like everyone says oh reach out to me and message me but claire is genuinely one of the most open and friendly people so if you are interested in gp nursing even if you've never met her before send her a message because she'll always reply she's the we- most friendly person and if I haven't, then it's because I haven't seen the message. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. So thank so, you so much for thank coming. You, it's so me. nice to see your lovely face. It's I wish so all our listeners could see. <laughs> now, thank you, Claire. Claire and I are absolutely delighted to be joined by Ellen Nicholson, who is a registered nurse, is a Queen's nurse, and is chair of the Royal College of Nursing's General Practice Nursing Forum. So thank you very much for joining us, Ellen, and taking time out of a very busy schedule. Very busy. Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. Now, how we like to start every interview with our guests, Ellen, is we just like them to give us a little bit about their story into nursing. So what is it that led you into nursing and how have you got to where you are now? Yeah, I've been a registered nurse for quite a long time. So it's a kind of roundabout wandering story as well. (laughs) So I hope you can bear with it. I am not one of those people who wanted to be a nurse. I did not grow up thinking this is what my life's ambition is going to be. (laughs) I grew up in the countryside, enjoyed working on farms, wanted to be a writer and somehow or other kind of ended up in nursing. And I think one of the seminal moments for me was I went to live in Hong Kong when I was a teenager. Wow. And it was just to do with my father's work. And it was a time when the Vietnamese refugee camps were in Hong Kong at the same time. So there were lots of boat people coming across and they were put into the refugee camps. And I had the opportunity to go and shadow people there as a teenager. And I think, you know, the social determinants of health really struck home at that point. And yeah. 
wanting to actually make an impact on people's lives. So I think that's where the worm was planted. Went to college and then kind of fell into nursing at a very, very young age. It just seemed like a career that could suit me at the time. So, And I started in schools of nursing. So it wasn't university. It was pre-Project 2000. And I started nursing in Salisbury, qualified, worked on a surgical ward, and I am not a surgical nurse. (laughs) It was great. I really enjoyed the experience, but yeah, not for me really. And then I went to work in London and I worked on a nursing developmental unit, which was absolutely, I suppose, kind of life-changing for the career. So it was a nursing development unit. It was at the same time as HIV and AIDS were really taking off within the UK. Yeah. Um, so I did a qualification in HIV and AIDS. And a lot of the patients who were on that ward were diagnosed with um, polycystic pneumonia and all the complications we had mm-hmm. at, at that time. Yeah. And it changed how I thought about people, changed end of life care, and it challenged all those perceptions and yeah. ideas that you have about what matters in life, really, I think. Yeah. So I think that was kind of pretty life-changing. And then, of course, being me, I decided I'd have a kind of little bit of a change. <laughs> so I went, I took a year off and went to Australia and worked in Australia um, in the community, in the outback on a sheep farm. Oh, wow. And, um, doing community nursing for elderly residents, um, which was really interesting and just travelled around. And by the time I came back to Britain, I thought, I don't really want to be in Britain. So I went to work in Germany, going back into a medical ward and then on to working in the community and had a break from nursing as well. So I went to work for a pharmaceutical company for a bit, selling some kind of products. I'm not quite quite (laughs) sure what they were, actually. And I went to work for a computer-aided design company as well in marketing and sales. And actually, I'm really, really glad I did because actually taking a step out of nursing and then coming back with kind of a different experience and a different perspective Mm. and business knowledge was a really, really good thing in retrospect. The time you don't know that, do you? So I'll tell you, it was a wandering story. It's a long wandering story. Um, So (laughs) anyway, we've had you on our global nursing episode, Alan. Yeah, absolutely. And then I came back to work in the UK, having acquired a husband and some children on the way. Um, (laughs) As you do, you know, life happens, doesn't it? Yeah, just pick them up. Yeah. And I thought about community nursing because I'd been community nursing in Germany, but actually I landed in general practice at that point. So that was in the early 2000s. And what Um, drew you to general practice? Initially, I think it was the fact it was quite similar to community nursing and it had that patient-centric approach. So you actually had time to spend holistic time with your patients and holistic care. I think that was the approach, really. And I don't mind working in a hospital environment, a ward environment, but actually, given the preference, I would prefer to work within a community setting, primary care setting, um, just purely because you get to know people better and you have that relationship within a community and it just feels right for me. GP nursing then it's one of the areas that I think everybody whether they're a nurse or or a member of the public but we they all sort of assume that they know what you do because we've all been to the GP probably we've all seen a nurse we've all had an appointment and so we all have this assumption that we understand what you do but what is it really what does it consist of what makes it unique what what is it you do? So I think general practice is a wonderful environment um, to work in from the perspective of patient care and also the autonomy that you actually have when you're looking after patients. 
there is a scale of GP nursing. So you could start off and be what they used to call a treatment room nurse, where you're doing things like cervical cytology, so that's smears, and public health campaigns, immunisation campaigns, your childhood vaccinations, flu vaccinations, as we've got at the moment. And they'll be involved in kind of the COVID vaccinations. And you kind of move up through your experience, kind of doing different courses, diplomas, degrees in diabetes management, in asthma management, COPD, public mm-hmm. health, prescribing. So you end up looking after kind of patients with chronic diseases like diabetes, running group consultations for various groups of patients with respiratory diseases, with cardiovascular diseases. And you have a role within the community as well. So you're always linking in with your district nurses and your health visitors because those patients aren't just patients in the general practice, are they? They're patients who are connected with schools, they're connected with health visitors, and there's that whole approach really, isn't there? So you get to know your local team quite well. Obviously, you're working with your general practice colleagues as well, GPs and secondary care as well. And then as it kind of moves on, some people move into becoming advanced nurse practitioners or ACPs now. And that seems like a good route for some people. Some people will specialise actually. So say, for example, you've done a course in diabetes, you might decide actually, I want to be a diabetic specialist nurse. And actually, you can end up back in a secondary care environment with those qualifications that you acquired in primary care. Mm. And I certainly ended up doing that. I picked up respiratory qualifications and ended up back in a secondary care environment as a respiratory nurse specialist for a bit. Okay. Um, And do you think, have you seen, so I'm a community mental health nurse, have you seen an increase in patients that you're seeing with mental health issues in general practice? Because I feel like that's something that practice nurses do do a lot of that I hadn't realized until I started working in the community that we do link in with practice nurses quite a lot where I am. Yeah, I didn't mention that, did I? Yes, mental health is an issue within general practice. I mean, obviously, Mm. your patient population, there is always going to be a population who has mental health One in four. Yeah. And they're in general practice, aren't they? So, yes. What we don't tend to see in general practice at the moment is somebody who's dedicated to mental health. So, you tend to build up your experience looking after mental health patients, but actually, it would be good to have more psychologist support, more mental health nurses actually within that hub of general practice looking after those patients because you do have to build your expertise up. Yeah. Do you think that other fields of nursing? Could, could go into GP practice then, so mental health nurses, learning disability nurses, children's nurses? Yeah, absolutely. So as part of my career that rambled on that I haven't said about, <laughs> I've trained people to be new nurses to general practice, be it newly qualified nurses or be it people with experience coming into general practice. And I can honestly say all of those you know, four branches of nursing have come into general practice and I've trained them to do so. So paediatrics, mental health, learning disabilities, they've all got something to offer in, in mm. that environment. And yes, they might have to build up skills in a different area and competencies in a different area, but that's no different to any new field of nursing, is it? So, you know, you build yeah. your competencies. So yeah, yes, no. they're all welcome. Because <laughs> I think that that's not well, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff about GP nursing on Twitter and, you know, it's there's a, certainly a drive. Local. I'm in the Northwest and we see a lot of adverts about having people to become a GP nurse and go on this training programme. 
but it's never something that I would have thought I would be eligible for as a mental health nurse. It's really interesting to think about that because we've talked a lot on the podcast about nursing having a huge variety of opportunities. And this is another one that people could consider and think about because you're right, like you say, you are, I mean, I'm a community mental health nurse, but I think as a GP nurse, you are in the heart of your community even more so than we are. I think at the moment for newly qualified nurses, there's a really good opportunity. So the NHS long-term plan talked about GPN fellowships. So people who are in those first two years of being qualified as newly qualified nurses, and actually for anybody from those four branches of nursing, they could take up an offer of a fellowship as a GPN and filter in that way. And then they have that actual set training program, they're monitored, they're supervised, and they're encouraged to grow their sphere of practice. So actually, I think that's a brilliant opportunity for people. Yeah, I didn't but know about own- that. It's only kind of newly qualified at the moment, though, those first two years of that fellowship. People who are kind of coming from other areas of nursing have a slightly different route. It's similar, very, very similar, but it's slightly different. Which really interestingly links into my next question. So we know there's lots of comments on the right way to do things as newly registered nurses. And there's still a lot of people out there who will say that you should go to the ward first, you should gain your stripes in a ward environment. But do you think that people can be general practice nurses straight from qualifying? And what do you think any potential barriers might be to that? Absolutely. It's a first career choice destination. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And I've seen and educated in a kind of practice environment, a university environment, newly qualified nurses who have gone on to become excellent general practice nurses straight from the word go. I think it depends on the person. Obviously, you have to have that kind of passion to work in an out-of-hospital environment. And it might Mm -hmm. seem slightly scary, actually, after three years as a student, two, three years as a student, depending on your course, moving into an area where your team is much smaller. And it might seem as though, actually, you might have slightly less support. But actually, within the right practice and the right environment and the right programme, actually, the support is there and the supervision is there. Because I imagine there is a level of autonomy in general practice nursing that you wouldn't necessarily get as a newly registered nurse in, say, a ward environment. So Claire's a community mental health nurse. I work in a ward in infectious diseases. So I'm surrounded by a team of more senior staff nurses. So if I ever had something, I could go to them. But I imagine a newly registered nurse, they are running clinics and stuff. Like We had Claire Carmichael on previous to you Ellen and there is that level of autonomy so I I guess anyone coming in would you agree would need to have that self-confidence within them? They do need to have that self-confidence within them but they also need to recognise when they need to ask for help and advice as well. I think you have to be quite yeah you do have to be very self-aware Although you're running your own clinics, I mean, you think about when you go to a GP practice, you go into a room and the door shuts, doesn't it? Because obviously you've got patient confidentiality. So a newly qualified nurse in a room with a patient and your patient's come with many, many different questions. They might come for a kind of smear test, but actually they might ask questions that are totally unrelated. And I think you have to be quite adept and understand how you're going to react in those situations and know where to seek help. So you would never want to have a newly qualified nurse in a practice unsupervised without somebody there to actually go and ask, this patient's asked this question, what should I do? Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, I think that, that's a big part of autonomy, isn't it? Knowing when, and it's part of the code as well, but it's, it's a big part of knowing where 
your limitations are, but being confident that you can go and find that information or get the support you need must be really important. Like you say, when you're in a room one-to-one with with a patient I know loads of people that book GP nurse appointments for you know wound dress but actually they're also going to ask about a lump they found in their breast or they're also because they're too nervous to just make the appointment for that particular purpose quite often what you find is you've done whatever it is in your 10-15 minute consultation and your patient stood up they've got their hand on the door handle and they say actually and while I'm here and that that really is often the point that's worrying them most actually they and didn't what's imagine brought it. them there mm-hmm. and often yeah. that's a really really crucial thing that you actually sometimes have to sit them back down again and say tell me about it or sometimes if there really are time pressures you have to make them another appointment to come back and discuss it properly but it's key to pick up on those kind of cues patient cues and we talked to Claire a little bit about the differences. So I suppose it's it's understanding for people that although everyone sees GP practices as part of the NHS, there is a difference, isn't there, in the world of primary care and what that looks like for every member of staff. And I think it's not well known in the public. They assume that you're all under the same terms and conditions and have the same salaries as us. Do you think the fact that people don't understand that difference is a challenge? Yeah, I think it is a challenge. I mean, people don't really understand how the NHS is set up, do they? They might hear the words GP contract, but don't really understand what that actually means and how that's negotiated and what's actually contained within that. So, for example, something like ear syringing has been done for years and years and years and years. You know, people have come in, they've had a kind of slight problem with their hearing and there might be wax in there. Their ears have been syringed, but actually that's not necessarily contained in the GP contract anymore. So, if it's provided by a surgery, they're providing something that they're not actually being paid for. Yeah. Um, so it's those type of little things that people don't necessarily understand. And you can't put everything into a contract. There's always going to be new things, new technologies, new treatments that come along, and they're not necessarily going to be contained. And it's up to who is negotiating that GP contract to put them in there and kind of keep on adapting it each year to keep up with health trends. And it was yeah. something interesting that Claire mentioned with us that I had never even considered is that GP nurses, they could work themselves up to become partners within a GP practice. Yeah, no, that's right. There is a real range and scope that you can achieve within general practice. You can start working as a healthcare assistant. You could work your way up to become a general practice nurse after you've done your registered nurse training. You can, as I said, you can go off and become a specialist nurse. You could become an advanced nurse practitioner or an ACP. You can flip back into secondary care. You can work up to being a nurse partner and a nurse manager. So one of the steering committee, Joyce Pickering, she's a nurse partner and she is the local nurse on the local medical committee in her area as well. And then you have nurses who move off into your arm's length bodies like NHS England and NHS Improvement. Well, actually they've merged now, haven't they? To become leads for general practice nursing. So Karen Storey is another one who's actually moved from the kind of general practice environment up into NHS England and is now managing the general practice nurse programmes across England. So there's there's a range. I think, this is my personal perspective, I think sometimes people limit themselves, actually. Yeah. 
Um, if you're interested in an area, there's no harm in pushing on the door and saying, actually, can I try that? Why, you know, can I shadow somebody and see if that's the job for me? What's my next step? HEE produced a pathway for general practice nurses a few years ago. So it was a district nurse and general practice nurse career framework. And mm -hmm. that's being updated at the moment, um, which is worth people looking at. And it showed the different stages you can actually go through and what you can achieve. Oh, that's really good. And we've talked a lot about COVID on our podcast because we've been in the pandemic the whole way through. But I guess to try and be positive about it, do you think that there are some lessons and some things that you've implemented in GP practice surgeries as a result of COVID-19 that will stick in terms of working with patients? Yeah, so before COVID, the push for digital technology was there and mm. It was getting somewhere, you know, we were moving <laughs> towards digital technology, you know, every every practice should have a website and access <laughs> for patients. But actually, in these last few months, the technology has really taken off and that is not going to go away. And I understand that some people find it difficult to get through. So you've got your telephone lines and trying to get through. And I think digital technology and websites and webinars have actually opened access for some people. So people who are working in nine to five environment, they haven't necessarily been able to get a GP appointment or a nurse appointment. And actually, they've had to take time off. Whereas now, a 10 minute kind of video consultation in the middle of the day is the ideal for them. Yeah. But that yeah, doesn't you work can just for go everybody. and sit in your car. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't work for everybody. So there's kind of no. the older members of the population who can't manage digital technology, people maybe with learning disabilities, people who are unable to read, they might not manage with digital technology. Yeah. So it's a hybrid approach, I think, that we're going towards. And it's not a one size fits all. So I know there was a push. I think I heard from the government about having totally digital technology, but actually that wouldn't work for general practice. You've got to have that face-to-face -face and digital technology approach. And I think that's really yeah. taken off in this it's time. It's very hard to do a smear test over the internet, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's not going to work, that one. <laughs> it's not, yeah. not going not to go well. I think it's worthwhile mentioning just because we know there's lots of traction on social media at the moment about pushing for a, a pay rise for those working within NHS and Agenda for Change, whether that is through the Royal College of Nursing or other activist groups. But it's very worth highlighting that you don't work on an Agenda for Change pay contract and your terms and conditions are very different with regards to things like maternity leave. And is that fair to say? Oh, it's a double-edged sword, this one, isn't it? So this is where I get myself in trouble. You won't. No. Yeah. So general practice does not have standardised terms and conditions. It does not follow agenda for change. That's not to say that some GP employers might not choose to follow agenda for change contracts and terms and conditions, and their staff will be paid accordingly. But the experience is that many, many aren't. So they may have statutory maternity pay, statutory sick pay, or they may they may not have any sick leave. And it really is up to the independent general practice and how they set that. It varies from practice to practice, from you know, county to county across the country. There is no standardization. And what I would like to see as kind of the chair of the General Practice Nurse Forum is a standardized contract. Whether that's actually agenda for change that's open to debate but actually something that's standardized for all general practice yeah, nurses for all general practice nurses so everybody has the same standard across the country so the british medical association have negotiated that for salaried gps so if you have such so the precedence there yeah, the precedent is there if you have it for salaried gps so this is 
isn't GP partners. This is people who are employed and working for a surgery. If you have it for salaried GPs, there is absolutely no reason why you would not have it for your general practice nurses as well. And I understand it's contentious and I understand that making that change is going to be difficult. But we've certainly been talking to NHS England about it. We've been talking to the RCN about it. There have been various petitions and campaigns that have been running the fair pay for nursing and general practice nurses have tacked on the back. And many, many general practice nurses have emailed their MPs. What we're finding, though, is when general practice nurses email their MPs about fair pay for nursing, they're getting the standard letter back from their MPs talking about... Agenda for change, <laughs> NHS, but actually they've written in that letter, I am in general practice. And so there is a lack of understanding at the highest levels of yeah. government as well. Yeah. Do you can have GP practice nurses who are paid above agenda for change rates and ones that are paid below because they can really go in and negotiate their own salary if the GP practice allows that negotiation to happen, right? So, yeah. So going back to that GP contract, in the GP contract, when it's renegotiated, sometimes that includes a pay uplift for general practice and staff uplift. And what you're not seeing necessarily is that uplift being passed on to staff and salary. So this is where it's not transparent and there is nobody holding anybody to account for passing those things along. So it's muddy, basically, and it doesn't yeah. need. And what, that's exactly what I was saying about the standardisation. You need to have yeah. the transparency. You need to have the standardisation. And with negotiation, I've heard a lot of people over the years talking about, well, yes, you know, some people are paid better than Agenda for Change because they've got good negotiation skills and some people aren't because they don't know how to negotiate. Yeah. But actually, a lot of the people who are saying those things are people who are employed on agenda for change kind of contracts within arm's length bodies and organisations who aren't negotiating. So actually, Mm. it's a bit, yeah, I find it a bit irritating, actually, that people are telling somebody to negotiate, but they're not actually being given the skills and they themselves do not have to negotiate. Because it's a hard thing to do. It's a really, it's a really thing difficult to thing to do. And you have to have a level of self-awareness of your skills, of confidence. And also going back to GP surgeries. So a lot of them are in rural practices, kind of rural areas. And your economy, your work economy may not actually have many other surgeries around. So if you say to your GP surgery, I've done this course, I've done this course, I think you should give me a pay rise because actually these skills are consumed with actually having a pay rise. And your GP surgery says no. What do you do then? Do you stay in an environment where you can't find another job? Do you kind of up house and move? You've, You've got to think through the whole ramifications of it as well. So in some ways, some people might actually be tied to a job. They can't leave, but they're not getting the salary that actually they should be getting for the skills that they have if they were in a different area. Hence my argument for standardization. Here's another one. So general practice sees hundreds of millions of consultations each year. But actually, when you go back and look at the NHS budget, it doesn't receive very much of NHS budget at all, actually. (laughs) So actually, if you funded primary care better and had much more of a support service within primary care, maybe things would change a little bit. But then obviously, if you're taking money from secondary care and putting it in primary care, there's going to be arguments within secondary care saying, actually, we need more funding. It's not it isn't easy. It's never going to be easy. And it's going to be compromised in negotiation, isn't it? Mm. But you've got so the NHS long term plan, and the GP forward view, you know, your five year forward view, all these reports that have come out in the last few years have pointed the direction we're going in. And we've started to see primary care networks forming. So do you know about primary care networks? 
Only a little. Yeah. So they're kind of groups of GP practices. So you could have a single-handed GP practice on their own, yes, and you could have a GP practice that's got 20,000 patients. And actually, it's about having a kind of population which is fairly similar in size across the country. So GP practices are banding together to form primary care networks okay. of around about 30 to 50,000 patients each for each network. And they will employ other allied health professional roles within there as well. So we're talking about paramedics coming into primary care. We're talking about pharmacists being in primary care. We're talking about physiotherapy in primary care and yeah. social prescribing too. So you've got a whole range of skills Mental health nursing isn't on that list at the moment, but there's no Which reason is why so it shouldn't bizarre. be. Yeah, it, I think it's. it's Although, yeah, yeah, I think my my local uh, network has got a. Now they're not a mental health nurse, but they've got a counsellor and a therapist across that group because that's so. I've got quite a strong um, network here, and they have somebody who works across that network to provide first-line primary care mental health services. But again, I think, I think it goes back to that standardisation that everyone does. needs to have. But you need to be cautious as well. So having said all about standardisation, you've also, <laughs> you've also got to look at your population, haven't you? Yes. So if you're in a central city area with deprivation or a university or something, your services that you're offering might need to be slightly different to somebody who's in a rural area with an elderly population. So what you're offering, you want to tailor it to meet the needs of that population, don't you? Not exactly. So I live in inner city Glasgow. So if we were offering the exact same thing in inner city Glasgow as they were offering in Shetland and Orkney, that just would not Mm -hmm. work because your population demands are so different. So the thing with primary care networks is that actually they're going to tailor to the population that they're actually serving. And it gives economy of scale as well. So if you've got GP practices banding together to form those primary care networks, they can offer more together than they could that wider range of services. Yeah. So it's kind of utilization of those services, isn't it really? Which makes sense. And the primary care networks should be taking over the out of hours care as well and provision as well. So you're going to see quite a lot of changes in the out of hours care and provision over the next few years as well. But primary care networks are quite a new thing. So they're still evolving. They're still changing. They're still recruiting people. But that's where we're going in the future. And when you tap on to that, having diagnostic hubs kind of based outside of kind of NHS hospital settings, actually primary care is really innovative and exciting what, you know, we could have in the future and how it's going to evolve. What a lot of amazing things to think about that I hadn't really known. So so we ask everybody to end their interview with a top tip. It can be big, it can be small, it can be about nursing or about life in general, but just a top tip for newly registered nurses that you'd like to give our listeners or any nurses really. I think I would say don't be afraid to dream, follow your passion and push the doors. If they don't open, well, you know, there's always another option and there's another pathway. And even if you don't achieve what you would like to achieve now, that doesn't mean to say that you will never achieve it. Sometimes there's different routes to getting to where you want to be. And if you do leave nursing, because you know, you were talking earlier about people kind of within three years leaving nursing, actually the experience you gain from outside of nursing doesn't mean that you won't come back to nursing at some point and have a renewed vigour and energy and passion yeah. for it. So I true. think that's it. That's <laughs> Thank it. you. If anyone wants to follow you on social media, Ellen, where's the best place for them to find you? 
uh, I'm a prolific tweeter, Craig. You know that. <laughs> I do know that. But what's your what's your Twitter handle? Do you know that off by heart? I do. It's um, L's E L L Z summary S R U M M A R Y. And there I you would go. Absolutely recommend that you follow Ellen. Well, possibly, yeah. Depends what you want to. It's a bit of a rant sometimes about nursing (laughs) and politics and how they fit together. Oh, I mean, that doesn't sound like anyone on here. (laughs) I think I'm quite well behaved, actually, Craig. Oh, dear. (laughs) Lovely to have met you, Ellen. Thank you so much for you. Thank you very much for your time. So lovely to talk to our lovely friend, Claire, who we've both known a while. And for me to meet Ellen, I know you've met Ellen before, but really interesting. And I think we did talk to them a lot about different fields of nursing and how primary care, actually, I hadn't realised so innovative in terms of like things that they were changing. Like Ellen was just talking about the primary care networks and that sounds really exciting and innovative. And I think... I guess the thing that I can take away from it, well, two things are that general practice nursing is open to any nurse, which is amazing, regardless of fields. Because like Ellen was saying, I think Claire mentioned, you'll always have a deficit in one area, but that's okay because you'll have skills in another area and they'll work with you to build them up. So really like that. And I guess dual field nurses even more. So they'll be really welcome. So that was really interesting. But I think the other thing I'll take away from it is maybe having more understanding of my colleagues in primary care. And I think that's really important for all of us, whether you work in a hospital or in the community in secondary care, actually, that's really important to understand because they have totally different pressures and different experiences of what they're doing. And I think I'll really take that away in terms of how that works. Yeah, I think it was just really eye-opening because like we said in questions to both of them, everyone assumes they know what a general practice nurse does because we've all gone in, we've had bloods taken, you've had your weight taken. I can't personally say I've had a smear test, but but 51% of the population at some point will have had a smear test. And if you haven't, if you're in that 51% and you haven't had it done, go and have it done. Yes, but the role is just so varied and that was not something that I was aware of. Also something as a nursing activist, which we both are, something that I just find so unjust is the fact that there is that pay inequity and that inequity of terms and conditions for general practice nurses that we don't have in secondary care and for those of us who work in the NHS and NHS trusts and I think we owe it to them as members of a nursing collective and a nursing family to all get behind them and support them and their campaign for whether it is the standardisation that Ellen talked about or whatever route it is they choose to go about trying to level that playing field because we all work together in my role yeah, yeah. And as a ward nurse we refer people out to their general practice nurses you work with general practice nurses in your role as a community mental health nurse so we are all one collective team together in healthcare whether it's primary or secondary I know. and I think it is our duty as members of a nursing collective to support our colleagues in primary care. So that's something I've really taken away is anything that I see that they're trying to achieve, I will fully throw my weight behind trying to help them. Yeah, because I mean, we're both really interested in public health. Obviously, it's the area that you're doing your master's in. My master's is in perinatal mental health. But actually, what we know from every piece of evidence or research you read about anything is if we get it right in primary care, we make the burden upon secondary care 
less if we can find stuff out and deal with it in primary care it's always going to be advantageous to the patient to the nhs as a whole and so we should be supporting each other and we should be making sure that we're sharing information and just simple things like systems and processes and not working in these kind of silos and we've talked before about this whole I hate the nurse eaters they're young and you get into groups of nurses who argue with each other but we do primary care is one section and secondary is another and we need to stop being like that and really focus on the patient and the patient being at the heart of the decisions that we make and it doesn't matter whether primary care delivery or secondary care. And it's absolutely about that patient journey and that patient journey through health when you look at it and you talk about it from cradle to the grave you're going to go through through primary secondary care so it's how all that links together and how we all support each other so even if you've listened to this episode in general practice nursing isn't something that you find is a path that you will go down I found it so fascinating finding out much more about what it is that they do I've left feeling more enlightened more insightful into that role so that when I do refer into that service I know what I'm referring into yeah yeah rather than oh just go to GP practice yeah definitely or when they send stuff to us I think actually what really struck a chord with me as well was that hand on the door handle as you're leaving because I bet that sometimes when we get people referred in that's how they have ended up admitting that maybe they're struggling with their mental health and that's the first step on their journey and I think it's just really important to think about how where that patient came from and who they first opened up to and yeah really interesting and really exciting and I think for those people who maybe missed Ellen saying this go and if you're in your first year of practice go and have a look at those fellowships I've very quickly looked it up it looks incredible really good structure really well kind of like organized and stuff so if it is an area that you're interested in and you're in your first I think 12 to 18 months it said on there then have a look at that because that and does that's look England like, based but you know, I know Scotland has something very it similar is. so across the four and she did say there's something for more experienced yeah 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 so and like she I think the NHS health plan as well uh, is all moving to primary care again the NHS health plan is referring to England but if you look at all the documentation coming out of Scotland Northern Ireland I think England and Wales come together but I could be absolutely wrong so please feel free to tweet me and tell me I'm wrong but they are all looking at pushing healthcare more out into primary care and not into secondary care So having that increased awareness of what primary care do, I think is so important to us all as nurses and people. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. So I think that's that's it, really. We just we're in awe of our colleagues and we're looking forward to some more episodes. The next one's really close to my heart. So um, I'm looking forward to those interviews and we will be back in a fortnight. We will be back in a fortnight. And stay safe. I know we're all in crazy times and I don't know about you, but I'm in Glasgow, which has just gone into tier four lockdown again. So wherever you are in the country, stay safe and make sure you're looking after yourself. I'm about to go outside after 14 days isolation. I'm very excited, but I will do it safely. (laughs) See you all later. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. To make sure you stay up to date with our latest podcast, subscribe to Retain the Passion on your usual podcast provider. You can follow us on all the social media channels at PodRTP on Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash PodRTP, or see our website www.podrtp.com for all our episodes. 
You can follow Craig at CraigDavidson85 on Twitter or me, Claire, at Manners of Markle. See you next time. All music from this podcast was courtesy of Kevin McLeod.